dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Nobody doubts that leadership can be lonely at times. And yet even the greatest of leaders had friends. In the story of St. Paul and his leadership in Acts, St. Barnabas plays an essential role. Why would God have wanted St. Paul to have a friend like St. Barnabas? What role does God want our friendships to play in our life as leaders? Well, you got to love St. Paul. <laughs> you just got to love this guy's fire. You got, I mean, from the moment of his conversion in Acts chapter 9, St. Paul starts preaching. It's absolutely remarkable. Uh, it, it go, go back and take a look at what happens here, right? So Ananias baptizes him. Paul, you know, uh, st- he starts eating. We're all very thankful of that. He spent three days, right, and three nights without eating or drinking there in Damascus, laying on his bed. And then, of course, Ananias comes, and he goes to St. Paul, and the Lord says to Ananias, Go for, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. It's, uh, it's cool to think about that because as St. Paul goes through his life, I mean, look at how much this guy suffers. I, I really want to encourage all of you to read Acts of the Apostles, okay? Because Sometimes we feel like, oh man, what we are going through as leaders is just so tough and that somehow God is letting us go, like he's, he's forsaking us or something. And when you look, here it is, the very first moment, St. Paul hasn't even been baptized yet, and God is saying he's going to suffer for my name. His leadership will cause him personal suffering. It's, it's, it, will, will leadership cause you personal suffering? Ought leadership cause you personal suffering? A lot of us would say, no, we, you know, if, if we're suffering, it's a, it's a sign of a problem. And here's our Lord deliberately speaking about Paul saying, this man will suffer for my name. And as Paul goes through his life, look at what, I mean, he gets stoned in Lystra. He has a riot that drives him out of the town in Philippi. Then he gets another riot that drives him out of town in Thessalonica. Another riot that drives him out of town in Berea. This guy's like, these crowds are all around him all the time, pushing him along. Um, remember what happened to him in Derby, right? He's caned. He's imprisoned. He's beaten. And that's on top of him, his traveling. I mean, he's walking over 500 miles from Iconium to Philippi. And he walks the distance on foot. It takes the last little bit by boat. But I mean, from, from, I mean, think about all that he's gone through for the sake of Christ. How is it that he puts up with it? It's because our Lord told him ahead of time, you're going to suffer for my name. And he showed him, you're going to suffer for my name. The suffering is not the problem. The suffering is a gift. And if you can fold that pain in your leadership down into a deeper gift of yourself, 
you end up becoming not just a leader in the secular sense of the term, you become a leader in the Christian sense of the term. For the leader that we follow, Jesus, despised the shame of the cross and embraced the pain so as to save this world. And maybe God's got you in a position of authority, not just because of what you're going to do. You know, you're great. You're a great leader. Maybe, I mean, I hope you are, but maybe it's something much greater than that that God has in store for you. Maybe his real goal is the suffering that you're going to endure because of your leadership. The anxiety is you're laying on your bed and you realize that everyone's livelihood depends upon you and the decisions you're going to make. The anxiety is as you watch the markets and you're looking at the investments and you're wondering what you should do, left or right. The anxiety as you decide to take a moral stance. Make your Christian, a company a Christian company. I mean, why not, right? And you're like, oh my goodness. And then the board's on you and your partners are on you and your employees are on you. And you're saying, what do I do? You know, like, how, how do I lead these things? The suffering that you, that you take, the, the sleepless nights in your hotel rooms, the, the early mornings, the presentations made when you're sick because you have to make them, because you have to make the sale. You're looking for investors for a great idea that will change the world and you know it'll change it, but no one else seems to believe it. All the words people speak to you in your head constantly. You're a bad teacher. You're not a good teacher. You're not a natural at teaching. And then you're just, maybe I'll just quit as a teacher. But you know in your heart that you're not, that this is what you're supposed to do. How do you push through that pain? St. Paul had the same thing. He was haunted by it. And when you look at how much that, that he was a sufferer for Christ, and he realized that Christ knew it ahead of time and that Christ was calling him into the leadership for the sake of that suffering, that that suffering was precious to Jesus. It makes you really think, you know, like maybe the problem isn't the pain. Maybe the problem that I have is not the problem. Maybe the real problem is that I have a problem with the problem. <laughs> well, maybe my deepest problem is that I have problems with problems. <laughs> maybe the deepest thing that I have is that I, have a, that I find pain a pain. But what if I were to look at pain instead and the struggles instead and I were to say this is my glory because I give this as an act of love to the God who called me into leadership. Well then my friend there'd be no one that could stop you, right? You'd be, you'd be a St. Paul. You, you'd be a lion. You would make your leadership, despite the pain, it, the pain isn't the problem. The, the focus of my life is my leadership. The leadership is something that I do and I cannot do except. I cannot live without leading. And so when I, when I encounter it in difficulty, I just push through it because everything that I do flows from this deeper mission that I have. And that is to bring this world to a better place through my profession, through my family. I will not leave this world in darkness when I see the light. I will not leave this man sick upon the road when I can do something about it, when I have the resources to heal him. I have been sent into this world on a mission in order to bring this world up higher. And yeah, that will cost me something, just like it cost my Lord the savior of this world, the king of kings, died upon a cross. And I see in that a pattern of leadership for myself. That this world is worth people suffering for. That my family is worth me suffering for. That my marriage is worth me suffering for. 
And so the fight becomes part of my creed, my battle cry. I don't run from the fight. I run to it because I'm running through it. The love that is on the other side is on the side as bo- that is before me is also behind me. I am impelled by love and I'm impelled for love. And that speaks in this broken world the language of pain and suffering and trial. Yeah, well, you know what? There's our Lord calling St. Paul and he's like, I will let him know how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul knew it. He knew it in every fiber of his being. It's what pushed him forward. It pushed him through separations. You know, you think just, think about the pain that he experienced from his own. You know, he said, I have got threats on the inside. I've got threats from the outside. I've got threats from my own brethren. This is in 2 Corinthians 12. And yet Paul pushed on. And God is looking at you and saying the same. Push on, my friend. Push on because of love. Push on for love. But for goodness sake, don't stop. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. You know, I, I, I've had the, the, the privilege of being just like you, you know, in, in situations where you, you kind of feel like a goose. <laughs> you know, honest to goodness, you're just up at these altitudes and these heights that are so intense. And you just feel like, man, everyone down below it, they're like the, these little birds in the trees. They're by their little bird baths, you know, and they're having a great time just kind of dancing around there in the sun. And then you're just like up in this army of solitude flying through the high altitudes and it's cold and the air is thin and your heart is, is, is maxed out and you're soaring along and, and it seems like no one can even notice. You're just these silent flyers of the night that push the limits of flight at speeds and altitudes and no one else even sees or understands. Why are you up there? I want to speak to you, the heart of the, of the leaders of this world. Why are you leading? It just seems so much easier. You look around and you say, you know, everybody else seems to have it so easy. They just, you know, they got their family and then they seem to be happy with their family and then they they have their little business, their job. You know, they don't even have a business. They have a job. It must be wonderful to have a job, you know. I've got, I've got everybody else's job. My job is your jobs, you know. So that's great when you have one. You're riding on my back. And I've got to think things through. And I've got to, you know, and, and, and it's just tempting to say, the heck with it. If people tell me, want to tell me how to raise my kids, why don't I just let them? Why don't, why don't I just let them? My kids should have an iPhone and an iPad. And an, why? They're only 10 years old. Well, that's what everyone does today. So that's what I've got to do. I should, I mean, like, and then like the, my kids will get mad at me if I tell them that they can't use this or that app or that they're going to have restrictions. The other kids are going to make fun of them. It seems like no one else in the world really cares about restricting the media usage of their kids. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to a person who lives and teaches in the Silicon Valley, California. And this person has in their, the school that they run, actually, uh, the students coming from many of the upper executives in Silicon Valley that work for, you know, these different uh, computer companies. And this teacher has made the decision to 
to scale back on the usage of computers in the classroom and the computer assignments at home. And what she found was that actually the executives in these companies are more attracted. Their own children, they're not sending to the schools that require the use of technology because as this person told me, and this is just hearsay, you know, I have no evidence to back it up. But this person told me that these executives revealed to her that in fact, they're creating things that they know are addictive and they don't want their own children to have to suffer from uh, the addictions that they are causing by their own inventions. Now, again, that's just, you know, hearsay, personal story. I don't, I don't quote it for veracity or exactitude. I quote it because there it is, as simple as that, hearing it from someone live, that in fact, we have to ask ourselves, is it because everybody else is doing it? And is it because it's comfortable that it's good? You are not amongst those who do things because they're comfortable. You're amongst the elite, my friends. You've chosen to own your life. You've chosen to be responsible for your choices. And as soon as you made that decision, you became an odd duck. You've left the flock behind. Now there's something else in store for you. Challenge, solitude, anxiety. And yet I want to ask you why you're doing it. Why should you start a business when you could just get a job? I mean, if we just let the government run our world, imagine how much easier it would be, less pain it would be. Our world would just become political maneuverings of approval processes so that you can get the biggest piece of the pie that doesn't belong to anybody but those to whom it's been privileged to be awarded by the powers that be. You know what I mean? Like, sounds like a different and easier kind of life anyway. And then the average Joe, just content yourself with what's average, Joe. If you get what's average, then if you accept that, and you won't have any pain if you just stop trying. Your thoughts will be controlled. Economy will dominate your life. And so morality, subject to the economy. History, subject to the economy. Ideal thoughts, subject to the economy. It's called communism, my friends. And communism takes many forms. It can even look a lot like uh, extreme forms of capitalism, as a matter of fact. And I'm not the only one to say it. It's John Paul II, this great pope who said, communism and extreme forms of radical capitalism have the same error. They reduce man to the material and they reduce the human experience to the economic. And once we do that on either side of the coin, well, tyranny will result and every other aspect of our life will be subjugated to whether or not it makes sense economically. I'm telling that's a cop-out of leadership as great as the cop-out for pain. You can quit because it's too hard on either side of the coin. But you are not amongst those who quit. We who are leaders in the name of Christ are not leading just to shape an economy. Of course, we're shaping an economy. But that we're shaping an economy only because it's the place where we can make the maximal impact for the deepest aspirations of the human heart. The economy is at the service of man, not man at the service of the economy. And so a greater economy can serve man all the better if the human people who are involved in that economy take it up in a spirit that's greater than the economic. We have to have a moral sense, a spiritual sense, a human sense, right? of culture and beauty and, and the inner spirit of the soul that is commensurate with the power of the economy that we wield. You see, it's a, a, 
if you don't if you don't know how to drive the car and you've been given a Porsche, you're gonna wreck an incredible machine. It's not the power of the machine that guarantees your safety. It's the vision of the driver of the machine. And we have an incredible capacity to forge an incredible machine called a business and through the businesses united called an economy. But where is it going? This is why I'm asking you why you're leading. Because that deep why of your leadership gives you the, the underlying guideline that points a trajectory to ultimate victory for all of your efforts. And it's what motivates you through the pain. If your guideline is the economy, my friend, you are a dangerous person. It's got to be the economy. That's the necessary aspect of the, the, the field we're playing in. But we aren't playing in that field because of the economy. We're not moving the economy because of the economy. We're moving the economy because of the betterment it can cause for our lives. And that betterment has got to be spiritual, human, deep, artistic, cultural. I mean, if you can't raise your family the better in a better economy, then your economy is not better. It's actually worse. If you're poisoning yourself by your own success, I mean, if your kids are corrupt and wild and, and evil people because of the ease of life that you've afforded them, then you made a mistake. The leadership that you've given them hasn't been adequate. You need to do more than that. You, we need to give our kids something that's deeper. And this is the point of the pain of Christian leadership. It points us into a deeper understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing what we're doing because of Jesus Christ's love for this world and Jesus Christ's commandment to bring him and his saving grace into the very lifeblood of our families, of our societies, of our associations, and of our business. He wants to be present in the power that drives this world so that the power driving this world drive it towards him. This is our deep summons as leaders. And St. Paul shows us this in the suffering he undergoes in his own life as he pushes through and shaping the culture to bend its knee before the King of Kings. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. I think we see St. Paul, uh, the leader, driving, right? Pumping his legs. Remember what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I am poured out like a libation. That's awesome, right? Like a libation. What is a libation? Libation is the sacrifice you make of a drink. Right? So if you take wine and then you pour it out as a sacrifice to God, it would be a libation. You, you, you pour out a drink, right? And this is how St. Paul sees his life. I have, right, I have run the race. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. This is not the, the language of a man who has not suffered for his leadership. This is the language of a man who realizes that his leadership was before powers and principalities and the kings and rulers of this world and that he would speak Christ in front of them. 
unafraid and unabashed. What, what is the power and principality in front of you? For, for a lot of you, you're terrified to speak to your own kids about what's right or wrong. I want to challenge you there. Is, is that what St. Paul did? Is that what Jesus did? You say, well, they were religious. I mean, you're religious. You're a religious person. You believe in Jesus Christ. When was the last time you told your kids why you believe in Jesus Christ? I think it's one of the, the biggest fallacies of our world today. I've got a whole world that's screaming at every single member uh, that it needs to believe and follow its creed. I mean, it's called business. It's called marketing. You build a skyscraper and at the top floor of the skyscraper, you know, you, you, you put the name of the building and you tell everybody who comes in why they should ascribe to your service, why they should believe in you. People walk around wearing the names of businesses on their shirts as a matter, as a mark of pride. I mean, like the business world seems to want to own the culture. And then it does. And so then it uses different people. And these people dance around, do all kinds of immoral things, act like big shots just so that people will follow them. They follow them simply because they're asking people to follow them. It's, it's, it's unreal how easily that we let everybody else lead. And when it comes to you leading and you telling your kids why you believe in what you believe in, that they should follow what you believe, we all become bashful and say we don't want to impose ourselves. I'm just like, have you not noticed what is going on here, people? If you don't propose Christ, the world will impose itself upon your kids. I mean, we're not called to impose Christ. Well, we are if we're parents, of course. We think we're not called to impose, but you are. You you impose baptism, and then you impose the correct way of living on your children all the way up until they get to that spot of freedom where they need to choose it for themselves and then you accompany them, but you constantly propose. I mean, what do you believe in, folks? If you don't believe in Jesus enough to tell your own children why you believe in him and that they ought to believe in him too, I mean, you wonder like what that belief is actually worth. I know it's weird. When you live with kids, you got to be closer to me. You can't just sit there and constantly bombard them with things. But have you ever done it even once? Here's what I mean by that. I want to give you a challenge, okay? I want you to take your children, one by one, out for lunch, breakfast, a walk in the park, but where they're alone, no phone, no distractions, no other brothers and sisters to hide behind. It's just you and them. I would do this, especially, I don't know if they're 12, on their 13th birthday, you know. Pick a moment of their life that's important to them. And then accompany it by saying, I want you to know something. You're growing up. You're going to have to make your own decisions in this world. I'm going to be there all the way, and I love you no matter what. But I want you to know something. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of this world. And I had a choice to make, and I chose to surrender my life to him. And I'm going to die, and he's going to judge my life, and I'm going to go to heaven to be with him forever because I made that choice. And I want you to make that choice too. I mean, can you imagine how, much, how powerful that would be? Have dad tell his 12-year-old son that he actually believes in Jesus Christ and in the moral teachings of the church? Can you imagine dad actually being like, I want you to know something, son. Here's what I believe. I believe marriage is between one man and one woman. And that marriage between one man and one woman 
It's for the whole of your life. And that divorce is not good. And divorce is not something that God wants. And that, you know, I mean, can you imagine the power? You'd be witnessing to your kids. And when you, they have that witness, they can never shake it away. They can never forget it. They'll go to college and they'll be like, I've got to make my decisions in my life. But I know this, when I make my decisions, I'm making them in context. And my father, my mother, they bore witness to me about their, their belief. And I've got to deal with that in my head, that this is the family that I came from. It's a Christian family. That's it. It's only one way to do it, right? There's a lot of different ways. I just want you to think, though, what way have you chosen to bring the faith back to your children? And you're going to say, well, uh, Father Nathan, if I do that, I've got to take on, you know, this or that or this. Stop giving excuses for yourself. If St. Paul had given all kinds of excuses to himself, he wouldn't have taken on that second missionary journey, let alone his third. I mean, when St. Paul was going to, um, to Jerusalem, he was going to Jerusalem knowing that if he went there, he would be arrested. And they begged him, not even go. Don't go back to Jerusalem, Paul. They're going to kill you there. And Paul says, the Lord told me to go to Jerusalem to bear witness to him there. And that's what I'm going to do. And in Jerusalem, what happens? The Lord says, bear witness to me in Rome. And so even though the king of Israel was about to be converted by St. Paul to become a Christian, he says, I have a mind to become a Christian too after hearing this man. St. Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Knowing that that's going to be his death. Why would he appeal to Caesar? Because the Lord sent him. Paul was free. Paul endured the sufferings in his life with freedom in his soul. He had a fire in his eyes and a fire in his chest that was bigger than anything this world could throw at him. And my friends, that is why your Christian, Christian leadership is so tough. It's to make you free. The moment that you say, I don't care anymore that it's tough, you know, I just don't care. I care more about truth than about comfort. That's the moment that you start to lead this world. And then the winds that blow, they stop blowing you around. And instead of being a bunch of reeds that just bend in the direction of the wind, we become rocks that shape the course of the wind around us because we proclaim a truth that does not belong to this world. It doesn't mean it's against this world. It doesn't mean that it condemns anything. We are people of open arms, of, of, of love and compassion, but it's in the name of that acceptance, that compassion, that love, that we have to proclaim this truth. Our arms are open to the world because Christ's arms are open on the cross. And that creed is a creed we will make resound in the places of culture and in the places of business with all the power of our life, no matter what the suffering that may come because of it. Amen. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.